We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Gruber. And we're here talking about the NFL trade deadline in the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills at the deadline and all the going on, goings on in week eight. Chris, it was Halloween. Do you remember last year, Halloween, you got to walk around with Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder from Bootleg Football? Yeah, it was pretty fun. They actually came trick-or-treating with you and your now-fiancé and your soon-to-be stepkid. Was that weird? Or not even weird. Was it? I guess the term is surreal. Was it surreal for you to know that like these guys... It was surreal that these famous YouTube people... I mean, Brett more than EJ. I mean, let's be honest. Brett's got like <laughs> Brett's got like 350 on the Film Room channel. Well, and they Brett got, also and, Brett also kind of like passive aggressively works for the Chargers. Yeah, and the NFL. So it's just like weird. They they did the podcast from the studio, and then uh, Jessica was like, "You guys want to go trick or treating?" And it was <laughs> it was a Monday, so it was like, "Well, Monday night's not kicking off till 8:30." So yeah, why not? And I made him a couple cocktails. We walked the neighborhood. That's how we do things. It was funny because earlier in the day, they're like, Drew, you want to come to the bar with us and watch this game? I was like, guys, I can't. I got my kids. We're going trick-or-treating for the first time. I'm not coming out drinking. Come to find out, they went trick-or-treating with you. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? When did they? What? How are you the one who domesticates everybody, and I'm the one out here with kids? Because I got people skills. <laughs> Is that what you call them? I'm going to challenge that by asking our first guest of the evening. Mr. Christian Simonelli, as we talk about the Patriots, who lost to the Dolphins 31-17. Christian, do you think Chris qualifies as being able to declare that he has people skills? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I'll no. T- Liar! No way. I will tell you why I have people skills. Because I know when to leave. 
I know when I'm not wanted. That's an under very very underrated yes. skill. Got to give him that. I know. I know when to leave. When people aren't interested, I get all of that. I can read people very well in that sense. Hold on, we have to get this because Christian's like first up on the show. Josh McDaniels. Your, oh yeah. Your, your thoughts. <laughs> well. I can tell you that <laughs> uh, it doesn't speak very well for Bill Belichick's coaching tree. Um, and <laughs> I will, you know, look, we know that the thing died. probably the worst run franchise in, in sports. The fact that you fire a guy two years into a six year contract and have to pay him 40 plus million dollars to do nothing for the next four years. But <laughs> it's, yeah, pretty bad. Um, I just. Not surprised that it happened. Not surprised that he got fired, but surprised that it happened on <laughs> Halloween night. On Halloween night at ten o'clock at night Pacific time, like the not even like it was a thing. Like oh, well they did it around dinner time. No, 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 no. Ten p.m. <laughs> it gets announced that these guys have been fired, and you start thinking about this, like realistically, like not to turn this into a Raiders thing, but just from your perspective, what's the thing? So obviously Monday's game was a big indicator to the owner that this coach does not know what the fuck he's doing. If he's playing yeah. an injured Jimmy Garoppolo who's missing a wide open device, I have a multi-million Twice. dollar wide receiver out there yeah, who could have yeah. won us a football game and yet you choose to play that quarterback over that quarterback even when that guy clearly can't do it. Like he can't do the job. Right. O'Connell's starting this week. Exactly. Like, this is a clear indictment of what was going on at the time, where when they can just so seamlessly pivot to the backup quarterback and everyone celebrates it, it kind of tells you that maybe the guy who was there before had a bad he had a bad eye for talent, right? Like, who should be under center? And then at the same time, I look at the GM and I go, that's a weird move. You just hired this GM. And yet you fired him real quick. Here's a question for you. Do you think his firing came because at the NFL trade deadline, when you said, okay, you guys have now fucked our season and we don't have much much left to play for, at least make something. Like, move a guy. Move a contract that gives us some future flexibility to make this team better. Whatever. And they didn't. They didn't do anything. They sat on their hands. When they had options, they could have traded to Marcus Peters. They could have traded. They could have traded Adams, for all that matters. Right. They could have gotten rid of right. him for a king's ransom. They chose not to. Do you do you think that that's like? I think that that's why the GM got fired. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I think you're on the right track there. Um, because I I don't know how you could possibly um, if if you just look overall at their moves the amount of misses and, 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 and very similar to, eerily similar to here, by the way, the amount of misses that they had in the draft um, over the past two years were just, oh my God, just unbelievable. And I don't think starting Brian Hoyer did anybody any favors that you decided to start him against the Bears over O'Connell. I just, I don't know how you justify that. Like, I, you know, I remember people here saying, "I would have fired him on the plane." Like I would have fired him at halftime for starting court. Like I, I would have fired him when the when the inactives came up. Like it was that bad. But to invest that much, and, and, and like you said, in a GM a head coach combo, 
Um, I also think the locker room was really bad too. I mean, sure? to be honest, like for everything that I read today, like and the way that Antonio Pierce in his press conference today came out and said, "Look, we're tired of losing. We're sick and tired of losing around here. Like we're going to come out like." Look, you, you alienate a guy like Devontae Adams and you go out and you spend all the capital, which you have to do, by the way. Like, you're in a division where you have to spend and you have to get high-end talent. Like, I thought it was a great move to get Devontae Adams. Everything else, uh, not so much. <laughs> Everything else they did Is he coming crap. back to New England? Yeah, well, here's the question. Are they coming back? Is Bill going to open up the cape and go, hey, come on, guys, I'll shelter you guys. <laughs> he's, he's, he saw... McDaniel's face and started to hear that Sarah McLaughlin music from the uh, in the arms of an angel. It's like the it's like the sad puppy commercial on TV, and he goes, "All right, Josh, come on back." Uh, well, if history is any indication, he'll be here tomorrow. Um, he does it with everybody because guess what? He doesn't have He's enough. paid the next four years. He's free. He's a freebie. Don't you get it? No. Oh, the yeah. whole roster, the whole coaching staff was littered with guys from Joe Judge to Matty P. Come on back. Billy O at one point in time. Like, come on back, baby. Absolutely. <laughs> so someone, you're still else getting, someone else is still paying you. I don't have to do it. That's actually right? a really good point. <laughs> Yeah, oh, come on down. I, I, you know what? I think this is the first time I've ever felt like I could bond with Bill Belichick over just being a cheapskate. Just being <laughs> a cheapskate. So you guys lose to the Dolphins this past weekend. Mac played well against Buffalo, but has turned to be you know, like like the Cinderella story. The clock struck midnight, and he went back to being the guy he's always been. Boy, I'll say, <laughs> just does not understand touch. Like I, th- I, th- I think that watching that game, the thing I, I think about him is he knows where to throw the ball. He doesn't have a great arm, right? Like he's never going to have an elite arm, but he has enough of one to be meaningful in the NFL. He just doesn't know how to put the right touch on the right pass. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean that's accurate. He he has a, a, a an okay arm. I even struggle to say that it's good enough because throwing the ball far, this was, you know, I, I learned this a long time from listening to my favorite show, uh, Patriots Unfiltered, formerly known as PFW in Progress. They would always talk about having arm strength isn't throwing the ball 60 yards. Having arm strength is being able to throw that 15 yard out to the sideline. Yep. And this kid, he just doesn't have that. Like that ball hung that Jalen Ramsey picked. I mean, you could have, you could have cooked an egg. How long that ball hung up there, and that kid, and like he just didn't get it. Like, and I, and he just he he still thinks three years here. He still thinks he's at Alabama, and that the coverage that the windows are, are big, and that he's got Devonte Smith running down the field. Well, and that's he, it. He still thinks that in his head. He does. Like that. Who is lucky? It's well, obvious. Well, think about games. it. The only way Miami could weaponize Tua is to go get him the fastest wide receiver stable in the history of the NFL. Right. It's like it's the only thing because when you look at those Alabama quarterbacks and who they got by with, it was the like who's who of like multiple, 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 multiple first round draft picks worth of wide yep. receiver talent, mostly based around speed. So your windows can be whatever you want them to be. Devonta Smith won the Heisman. Like that's not a that's not a stretch. Like he was one of the, he was the best player in college football. He he went into the national title game and got hurt in that game, and was you watch the touchdown he scored where he got injured. No one could get an angle on him. He was so fast. Yeah. 
that's the problem is you go from that, you go to what New England is. New England doesn't know what a wide receiver is. <laughs> they haven't known wide receiver oh. talent in a decade. So it's hard, and it gets even harder when you lose Kendrick Bourne to an ACL, doesn't it? Sure does. I mean, he uh, was no uh, the unquestioned, uh, you know, top wide receiver on the team, and just just the air, just adding insult to injury. It really is like you know, and, and from everything that all the players are saying, like he brought that you know um, fire to the locker room too, went to the sideline and stuff. So uh, huge loss it is for a guy that, quite frankly, is is you know an average wide receiver, but on this team. He was the clear number one. He was clearly Mac's favorite. Mac was going to him, you know, uh, pretty much more than anybody else, you know, every game this year. So huge loss, but hey, you know, I, the, the still Bill Belichick's line, it is what it is. And it's just, I mean, and these things now are starting to really stack up, you know, guys getting hurt. Um, I just, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's. I don't know how you just don't do anything in the trade get deadline to get pieces for next year. I just, well, I don't, I didn't understand it. And so this is the conversation it. for tonight. We're talking about trade deadline stuff with every single team, and like I understand why a lot of teams stood pat. I do. You know, do mm-hmm. you, when you look at some of the teams like the Dolphins, you know, they don't feel like they have anything to gain, right? They go, listen, why right. give up assets? We, we've already sold assets to get what we have right now. Why would we give up more assets to give up more pe- to get more pieces that might not be a fit, that are test subjects? Instead, we'll just wait to get healthy. And it's been working. They're 6-2. I, I, I right. can't argue with it. When I look at a team like the Patriots and I go, we, and that's kind of why I had that conversation with you about the GM getting fired probably because mm-hmm. he didn't make the right moves. Like, I just hired you as to be my GM. Now, say what you want. You have nothing to do with the existing talent on the roster. These guys have existed here. They're here. This is our problem. We have to deal with it. At the same time, you as the GM sat on your hands when you had assets to sell that could make us more cap flexible in the future, that could give us more draft picks that we could utilize in the future so that you could have your draft and go out and draft talent that you think could help this team. And instead, that GM went, nah, we'll just punt. We'll just fucking punt and sit on all these guys until we either lose them in free agency or they refuse to play and demand a trade next year. Bilicek is in that boat now. Whether he likes it or not, he's part of that group of you have a bad football team that's not winning football games, and at the same time, you had talent to burn. You had guys that you could have shopped. There was talk about Uche being in demand. There was talk about people sniffing around some of your defensive backs, like, uh, what's-his-face, Duggar. There there was a lot of things that could have been done. Oh, Duggar, yep. Yep. And... Yeah, you guys made no moves to make yourselves more cap solvent in the future, whether it was – it's kind of a basketball move. But even if you were thinking – like if you were a forward-thinking GM, you would say, hey, can I trade Matt Judon's contract? Can I get out from underneath right. this thing? Because we don't know what he's going to – like it's that kind of stuff where it's like, listen, this is a rebuild now. There is no just quickly cobble this together. We have a full-scale rebuild on our hands. 
Is this bill just being stubborn because he doesn't want to admit that the rebuild is necessary? Or do you think he's just that bad at what he's doing? I think it's stubbornness. Bill Belichick all of a sudden didn't wake up and, and real, you know, and, and uh, yeah. n- you know, not realize how to coach or uh, not realize how to be a GM and not realize the value of players. He gets a price in his head on a player, and it's very hard to move him off that. Um, and now people, when I when I say that, people always say, "Yeah, but look at what he traded Jimmy G for." That was a clear pissing contest with the owner. The owner made him trade Jimmy G, so he traded Jimmy G for a bag of donuts, which in the end ended up hurting the team. Okay, yes. um, and all the guy does is say two things: we're on to the next team, and I do what's in the best interest of the team. For the past four or five years, he hasn't done what's been in the best interest of the team, and I don't think he did it this time by not doing anything in the trade deadline. Um, I really compare this to the year that they had uh, Jamie Collins, Chandler Jones, and Dante Hightower uh, all coming up for uh, free agency, all needing contracts. You signed one of them and Dante Hightower, who we actually let go to Pittsburgh uh, on a free agent visit, and then he came back and ended up signing him. And you traded Jamie Collins and uh, Chandler Jones – Gone. Let him go. So, uh, look, do I think that the guys now in Duggar, Uche, and Owenu are as valuable as those three? No, I don't. But who's your core? Who are your five to ten guys that you can look at on this team and say, okay, these are the guys I'm going to build around? You don't have them because you couldn't. You haven't drafted them. Very simple. So, why don't you get some assets? <laughs> get rid of something that maybe it's somebody sick. will give you a third or a fourth round pick. The guy loves to live in the sixth, seventh round every year. I get a freaking sit on the third day in the draft and watch them pick four guys in the sixth round and three guys in the seventh like a jerk. Rate him for those if you love them so much. You love those picks so much. But no, something. he didn't do anything. Like, look, yeah. fr- you, you might end up with a Fred Jackson out of co-college. doesn't fucking matter. You could get <laughs> meaningful players. Just do something. And yet right. here's a coach in Bill Belichick that is watching other coaches get fired for mismanaging their rosters, mismanaging the trade deadline, and yet he continues to sit on his hands and say, I know best. Do you, Bill? Because the results say otherwise. Your fan base says otherwise. The media says otherwise. Like, the tape says otherwise. And ultimately, like, that's the one, right? Ball don't lie. (laughs) When your team yeah, is winning two football games, ball don't lie. Oh, no, it's scoreboard. Ball don't lie. Um, your record post Brady. Um, it's it's look and you and it and it and it spills right over to what we talked about off the top. All these coordinators should just line up and just wash and kiss Tom Brady's feet because they all got jobs because they have defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, everybody has done nothing without this guy. The only one that's done anything that's had any success at all is Billy O. He's the only one that has a plus 500 record. The rest of them, and I don't count Vrabel, by the way, because Vrabel played for him, but Vrabel never coached under Bill. Exactly. Vrabel went off and coached other players. Now, you know, and the people say, well, you know, what about like Dave? Yeah, how's Dave all doing on his own in New York? Yeah, how's he doing? Yeah, Chris. How's he Brian doing da- on his own in New York? Chris, do you know that Brian Dable is technically part of the Billichek coaching tree now? Yeah. So, what well, yeah. was he a coordinator with him? Tyrant's coach, I believe. He he was a positional coach. He was an offensive coordinator with Cleveland 
under Eric Mangini. Then he went to Alabama. Then he came back here. So he was here like twice. So he's technically a Belichick guy because he never left the Belichick like tree pipeline, uh, incestual coaching tree, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, he was. He, so he's definitely, you know, a Belichick guy. And I give him all the credit in the world, by the way, for the work, you know, that he that he did with you know with Buffalo. And I, I give him all the credit in the world. I do. I really do. Like he made Josh Allen a great player, in my opinion. He really did. Um, but you see, like the bottom line is. A lot of people try to go and be Bill, and they're not Bill. But I think now that we're seeing not only people trying to go and be Bill, but they're trying to take his system and his way of doing things that worked 15, 20 years ago with Brady, you can't do it now. You just you just can't. You just cannot. It's it's just not the way. Well, there's Somebody a way. made a comparison today where the NFL is no longer a fiscally responsible league. It's a 16-year-old kid who got mom and dad's credit card. Yes, but but guess what? That's what it is. That's what you live, and that's why dynasties are short-lived, but no one gives a shit. Do I win? Right. Do I win in the moment? Then guess what? That's all I care about today. It's today. Look at the 49ers. Look, 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 look at the 49ers. All the assets they've given up and all the guys that they have. Like, Look at what they did. I yep. mean, look at what they're doing, going out and getting all these guys. Yeah, but but, but then look at them. Look at where they are. They're they're right. they're a five and they're, they're a five and three team that everyone goes. Oh well, we didn't expect. They have the same record as Buffalo. They have the same record as Buffalo, and yet here we are screaming into the ether about how terrible our football team is. <laughs> like right. that's my point. Like it's all relative. What I do know all is relative. a bad sure. coach, bad processes, bad everything. Chris, that Billichek coaching tree. When we look back at it, when he's eventually done in the NFL. It's a palm tree, right? Like tall, long stock with four leaves. <laughs> that's it. That's, there's no branches on this fucking thing. Like that's it. It's it's a tall tree with four leaves. No, nope. there was a there was, there was an article today. That the title of it was great. Bill Belichick coaching tree colon kind of sucks. <laughs> Pretty accurate. God. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I wish I could say that I don't wallow in your misery but i do and if, if there's uh, I a, wouldn't, wouldn't expect any less and if there's bills fans out there who want to do the same where can they find you on social media uh at chris with the t-i-a-n on x and uh, give me a follow I'll, I'll give you a, a follow back and yeah we had some uh some bills posting on there early this morning about uh you know just watching josh mcdaniels fail as a as a as a, as a coordinator and them enjoying it and relishing it. And I, I respect that. I mean, I respect the shot, but I respect the heat. How can you not? And so moving. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Along this, uh, you know, trade deadline, just conversation, and as we talk about what the you know the week that was in the AFCs, we get to the New York Jets who beat the Giants thirteen to ten in dramatic fashion. And I wish I could put air quotes around that because I would almost say that the outcome of that game was anticlimactic because I was really hoping I was going to get to see a tie in person for the first time in years. Like on a day when the bills weren't on and I could have relaxed while leisurely watching football, this game drove me to visiting with my parents and brothers, playing with my kids. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet I can't imagine having an actual vested interest in that game filled with that much utter nonsense for 60 minutes. How do you do it? (laughs) How do you do this every week? It's, yeah, it's been an interesting season. It's funny because I think Mike Renner from PFF had a great way of putting it. He said, the Jets are the ultimate coin flip team because no matter how good or bad your team is, the Jets are going to take it down to the wire with you. <laughs> it's, It really is. I mean, here's a team that when Ty, you know, they come in with Tyrod, everyone goes, oh, Tyrod can't move the ball against that defense. He couldn't move the ball against the Bills defense. What's he going to do now? Immediately gets hurt. <laughs> it's like gets hurt. His unlucky streak continues. And literally here comes, you know, Syracuse legend Tommy DeVito. And he played football about as well as Danny DeVito when you consider he's the first one to finish with negative nine yards in NFL history. Uh, And almost won! That's the fucked up part about all of this, is that he almost set a record for being the only quarterback to win a game while throwing negative passing yards. Scott, how would you have stomached that? Knowing that that's something that just goes in the Jets' annal of mis- like annals of misery. Uh, it was pretty bad. I'll be <laughs> honest. I was watching that, and I'm just sitting there going, negative eight yards of passing. How is it even possible to lose a game like this? And it was just so frustrating on so many levels. For starters, that touchdown that gave the Giants what we thought was going to be the lead that would propel them to victory, that touchdown never should have happened because there were two penalties on that drive that kept the drive alive both times they would have been for the giants would have been forced to kick a field goal which as we saw from graham gano missing twice might not have even resulted in three points instead jermaine johnson and quincy williams both with some bad penalties especially jermaine johnson the quincy williams one not as egregious but so you saw that and then michael clemens got called for a similar penalty on a fourth and five they kept the giants on the field the giants just kept eating up clock and eating up clock And it was such a frustrating game to watch. And it was one of those situations where you looked at the offense. And I know the popular thing to do is to blame Zach Wilson. And while you're watching the game live, you're getting frustrated. But when you watch it back, especially on the All-22, what you realize is that not that Wilson played a great game, but boy, did he have no help. And I wouldn't say he played poorly either. I would say he he was okay. But again, you know, Dexter Lawrence had 15 pressures. We're talking about an interior. <laughs> a full string center in there. 15 who, who, pressures in a single game. <laughs> yeah, and that's an interior lineman, by the way. Not to mention everything T- Kayvon Thibodeau was doing. Look, I love Mekhi Becton, but Kayvon Thibodeau was just killing him all day. He had three sacks, including a forced fumble. You you had a third string center <laughs> in there. 
led to a turnover because the center messed up the snap. And so you look at Wilson having drops too on on top of that. Alan Lazard has just not been – he's been very disappointing this year. Dropped a couple. Brees Hall dropped a couple. Wilson played poorly in the fourth quarter. There's no question about it. And I, I took some terrible sacks. And if you want to pin the Kayvon Thibodeau force fumble on him, I think it's really split evenly. Mekhi Beck didn't let Thibodeau get around him so quickly. But at the same time, Wilson held the ball for about three seconds, so he probably should have gotten rid of it. But my, my point is, Wilson made some nice passes during that game, wasn't helped at all until the end when you know we saw what happened. He threw that strike to Garrett Wilson. He threw another strike to Alan Lazard. They had some help from the Giants. Kayvon Thibodeau, who was great all day, committed a horrendous offsides penalty, which stopped the clock. And then, of course, at the end of the game, in, in the overtime period, you saw what happened with that pass interference penalty. So it was just a wild ride and a frustra- frustrating game to watch. But I'd rather be frustrated with a victory at the end than frustrated with a loss. Now, I, I need you to understand... Let me tell you this. I was at work, Scott, and we had that game on locally. I get a break at 1 o'clock. I'm in the break room, and we have the Jet-Giant game on. And I look over at Dwayne, who's got the remote to the TV, and I go, you know we have Cowboys-Rams on Fox also. And he goes, you serious? Why the fuck are we watching this shit? (laughs) And he changed the channel, and we never watched another minute of that game. Well, the funny thing, of course, is that the Cowboys-Rams game ended up being a blowout. So Yeah, that's more fun to watch. Well, what would you rather watch, a blowout or whatever the fuck this is? I'm, 24 punts. I am now calling Zach Wilson. Like, you're talking about how it's not fair to blame him. I'm going to refer to him henceforth as Cosmo. Because just like Cosmo Kramer in the, yeah. uh, in, in the ubiquitous Seinfeld, he just keeps... Failing upwards and falling ass backwards through ridiculous sets of circumstances into success. I don't understand it. It doesn't, it, it defies logic and reason at this point. And when I saw that happening, I go, Kayvon Thibodeau just fucked the game for everybody because they would have had to spike the ball and probably would have ran out of time to kick that field goal had he not stopped the clock. So with that in mind, you guys come out of this game injuries some pretty big ones on both the defensive line and the interior offensive line l woods goes down goes on ir uh you guys are down multiple centers in terms of injury who's healthy who's ready to play you saw what dexter lawrence did to that center and now what's your it's a two-part question because we're talking about well, the trade deadline. What's your cons- what's your? I guess my thing is, what is your concern level with the trenches at this point? And are you surprised the Jets didn't make any moves at the deadline to try to address them? Well, let me just throw something in there too. To be fair to Dexter Lawrence, yes, he abused the the third string center, but he was abusing Connor McGovern too. McGovern gave up four pressures before he came out of that game. So Dexter Lawrence was just an absolute beast that day. But yeah, it was certainly made worse by having a third string center. As far as the trenches, look, it's a mess and they're going to have to shuffle everything around today. Robert Salas sort of hinted at when Dwayne Brown comes back, they're going to move Becton back to right tackle where he's less comfortable. I assume that probably means Max Mitchell goes to guard at which point when Joe Tipman comes back, he moves to center from guard. So everybody's been shuffled around this year. The only constant has been Lake and Tomlinson, really. So 
it's a mess, but they're doing the best they can. Their whole motto is get the best five on the field. And if that means shifting guys around, that's what they're going to do. I don't love it for Becton because he's less comfortable at right tackle and there's probably a greater chance that he re-aggravates an injury, but it looks like that's probably where they're trending. As far as getting somebody at the deadline, there was talk of Ezra Cleveland, who I believe went to the Jaguars. Sounds like the Jets didn't think he was a great fit. He had gotten benched with the Vikings, so I'm not going to go crazy that the Jets didn't go get him. They signed Roger, Roger Saffold, who was terrible for the Bills last year. <laughs> Body at this point, Saffold has experience in the system. He played with Keith Carter yeah. in Tennessee. So you just had to get a body in here. I can't say that I'm shocked they didn't do anything at offensive line at the deadline because there really wasn't much to go get. Mm-hmm. Teams don't tend to trade quality offensive linemen, especially this time of year, and that's just the reality. So the Jets went out on the street and got Saffold, he was probably the best they were going to be able to do at this point. Well, and see, it's interesting you say that because that's kind of the boat the Bills are in when it comes to defensive tackle. You know, they, in his press conference uh, earlier today, Brandon Bean talked about this idea that, you know, just that we didn't come up because someone asked, hey, you know, you guys traded for a corner, but you didn't land a D tackle, and, you know, that's a thing. And he goes, it's not for lack of trying. <laughs> we, we just can't get a deal. We, we couldn't find one. We couldn't find a deal we liked. There was nothing out there to be had that we thought was a significant upgrade. So realistically, what you're probably going to see here in the next few weeks, there are some names because he already said that they're still working like hell to try to figure out what to do at defensive tackle. There are still guys. You know, there's Linville Joseph. There's, you know, people are talking about Indomitian Sue, which I don't know what either one of those two moves bear. But I do know that when they played for Philly last year, they came off the street and looked ready to go. And so, yes, they're a year removed from that, but any team, the Jets, the Bills, teams could do well to look at what's available on the market and say, look, last-ditch effort, who are some of these guys who you think might just have been waiting for like a time and place and then figured they, they, it was like a game of musical chairs. They waited too long and missed their shot. Maybe recognize if I want to make a million dollars this year and get back to doing something I love, I'm going to have to take this contractor. I'm going to have to take whatever it is just to get back in the back in the game. I feel like both of our franchises are going to have to do a lot of work on that front, don't you think? Yeah, obviously. I think right now what you're seeing is that the Jets and the Bills have a lot of holes to fix, and there's deficiencies there in a variety of different ways, obviously – the Jets and Bills have different deficiencies, but it's going to be interesting down the stretch here, despite that one guy on Twitter who doesn't seem to understand math. The Jets <laughs> and Bills are very much alive for the AFC East, so should be a battle. All three teams have weaknesses, and they've got games left against each other, so we'll see how this shakes out. Absolutely. Now, Scott, in the run-up to your next, uh, your, your next hopefully – hopefully more watchable disaster of a football game. Where can Bill's fans hate read all of your content and hate follow you? I hope they enjoy it, but just hate the jets. You can like me and hate the jets. (laughs) This is, Hey, I do it. Yeah, there you go. So that's kind of, I forget who it was, but one of, one of your followers said something to me that I thought was one of the nicest compliments I've ever gotten in a really twisted way. He said, I hate the Jets, but I really like you. And then he referred to me as the only Jets fan he liked. So I thought that was pretty cool. See? But as far as as what you said before, excellent question, Shelton. You can find the Jets. They will be out there much like 
LA Knight striving to be the best of Jets content, although LA Knight trying to get the WWE title this weekend in Saudi Arabia. I don't think he's going to be listening to the Jets content. You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts, and it's daily, seven days a week. We never stop. The shows just keep on churning, just like the mail, like Newman said. The mail just keeps on coming. The podcast episodes just keep on dropping. We've got playlikejet.com. The YouTube channel is youtube.com slash playlikejet. We should have a really good video on Zach Wilson, breaking down why he's actually been playing significantly better than a lot of people have given him credit for. You've seen guys like Daniel Jeremiah and Dan Orlovsky step out and say, hey, you know what? Zach Wilson's not playing that bad. You guys are being way too hard on him. I think the film sort of backs that up. So you can take a look at that Uh, really quickly. I'll just say this on the Zach Wilson front. I think he's playing like a capable backup. That's all you could have reasonably asked for from him this year based on where he was last year. You can't have the same expectations for him now. He's three years into his career. It's a different ballgame. So I would suggest taking a look at that film because he's going to be coming up to Buffalo in a couple weeks. So see what you're up against. And then, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. Gentlemen, as always, a privilege and a pleasure. Love going on with you guys, and I'm looking forward to next week. Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga in about 15 to 20. They are the triple threat of the AFC East. You need Roundup. to get back into like your 90s wrestling. Like, what are some of the. Ni- in fact, I'm going to Google it right now. I just did. I know you did, but you're. Triple a threat. Best. Triple threat. Three man. You said 90s. I know. So now I'm going back 80s. There was Demolition, I think, was early 90s. Uh, The Midnight Express. One of the most influential and successful teams ever. Yeah, they're not close to those. They're not the same as Midnight Express or the Rock and Roll Express. Wait, those are two different things? Yeah, Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express. The Road Warriors with Dusty Rhodes? That's not a thing. That doesn't. That was never a thing. They're triple threat. I couldn't even tell you who's in triple threat. I think it was like Shane Douglas, Chris Candido, and somebody else. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe Razul Douglas is in there. Maybe we should move on. I guess I guess I guess we'll move on but I'll tell you this the 70s and 80s wrestling that I was watching growing up as a kid is way better than this crap you're watching now let me ask you this yeah when were you born in the 70s VHS exists sir and I have them do you know I have Wrestlemania 3 where Hulk Hogan body slams Andre the Giant on VHS that's impressive I have Wrestlemania 4 or I used to have Wrestlemania 4 on VHS where it would you would it was because it was a double tape. It was like oh, four hours. Yeah. You, it was a pop up of Hulk Hogan and his and his flexing. I used to have that. That's pretty cool. The best match of that night wasn't Andre the Giant getting body slammed though. The best match of the night is where uh, it's uh, King Kong Bundy and Hillbilly Jim are on opposite sides of the ring from each other, but they each have like a handful of uh, I don't know what the proper nomenclature for this is, but short people. Wrestling with midgets, them, wrestling with them, it's midgets, and then what happens is towards. So it's supposed to be like a tag team match, like short pe, a bunch of short people and the biggest human beings of all time, and then uh, King Kong Bundy splashes one of the short people, and all hell breaks loose because they all just turn on him <laughs> and throw him out of the ring. 
That makes I, sense. I almost feel like that turned into a shoot real quick. It's possible. <laughs> Depends if he meant to do it or not. <laughs> uh, guys, we are here talking about the Buffalo Bills at the trade deadline. You've already heard our recap. You've already heard our preview of the Cincy Show. And if you haven't, go check it out here on the feed. Chris, it's funny that the Bills at the deadline have obtained a pair of guys who previously beefed with players already on a roster. Yep. Like, are they trying to recreate the bickering Bills? Mm, are they just, or no. is it just like, hey, we need some Thunderdome action in the locker room? Wake everyone up? Yeah. Nah, these guys. See, here's what I hate about this when people go, oh, that guy fought that guy. And I think, do you know how many people <laughs> over the course of like sport? I'm, t- I'm, mind you, when I say this, like, how about this? If I just kept it, to slow pitch softball as an adult. Do you know how many people, including people on my own team, I've almost fought during a game? And Everyone. then the second it's over, you have a beer and you laugh about it because it's like, okay, this is what competition is. As soon as the competition's over, we're all just dudes hanging out. That's it. The thing's done. There's no actual hatred or animosity. It's just we were in this pressurized environment together for 45 minutes, and it got a, things got a little out of hand. I don't understand how people don't understand that that's what happens in sports. Chris, you play hockey. I do. Allegedly. How many times do you go up against a team when you see them, and you're like, oh, these guys are fucking dickheads? And then... But then once the game's over, you're like, all right, I, I just, you don't care. Like, it just ends. That's, well, I mean, when you bring up a team of assholes, there's one, and they are assholes on and off the rink. Sure. Uh, as far as, uh, I think everyone else, I feel that way. Like, you'd be an asshole in the rink, and then uh, off the rink, I'm fine with you. Because we're adults. And so are these athletes. They're they're men, right? So we're out here just doing a thing together, which is how you end up here with Leonard Fournette signing with the Buffalo Bills. Now, I'm not – it doesn't move the needle much for me. People complaining on social media when we signed uh, Harris. And I was saying, okay, but understand Fournette's down, right? Worst yards after contact of his entire career, which is kind of a sign – like if you – I ended up having to, because of fantasy football, ended up having to hate watch a lot of Buccaneers football last year. His passing statistics, everyone points to that and they say, oh, he's experienced and look at his look at his production. It was more volume-based than anything else. I think he had like 73 targets or like something crazy like that for as a running back. But a, but a huge reason for that was that their offensive line in Tampa was terrible and Tom Brady's not an idiot. He goes, I'm not, I'm not trying to extend plays with my legs and getting hammered back here in the backfield. I'm old and worth millions of dollars. I'll see you in hell. I'll check it down to a running back and let him do what he can do. But because of their makeup with a, you know, a Godwin and uh, Mike Evans and you know, some of the other talents that they have on that team from a receiving standpoint, secondaries had to cater to that, and they would just clear out and give Leonard Fournette these giant lanes to run through when he'd catch the ball out of the backfield when Tom Brady said, hey, that defensive end's too close. Fuck it. Check it down. 
I'll live to fight another day. But he, he, he was generating a lot of yardage, which is great. I just don't know that you can replicate that scenario here with this year's Buffalo Bills. I, I just don't. He's experienced depth, who's really good at pass protection. So I guess in the event something happens to like Latavius Murray, this is a good signing because it gives you depth that can still protect Josh Allen. He doesn't challenge the rushing chops that Cook has. He doesn't have the explosiveness of Murray, which seems crazy because he's like 90 years old. And he's also, Chris, didn't you think Murray was supposed to be like the goal line back? Yeah. Do you see that crazy stat that he's been stuffed four times from one or fewer yards away from the goal line this year? Most of any running back in football. Well, could that be blocking? Some of it's blocking, some of it's play design, some of it's just the fact that he's not... He's a tall, he's a big running back. He's six foot two. So it's cool when you see it and you go, oh, look at the way he plowed that guy over. The problem is, is that when you look at the guys who are the most successful there, yes, they're heavy running backs, the goal line. Jamal Williams last year with what, 14 touchdowns, 12 or 14 touchdowns. A lot of them coming inside the red zone. Yeah. It's because he's 5'11", 225 pounds, and he runs like a hammer. He's small, compact, his center of gravity's low. Murray's not built like that. Now, Leonard Fournette might be, but that doesn't mean that he still has those chops, so I, I don't know what this is. I just know that he's just a Harris replacement, and I'm okay with this. I just don't want to see it all of the time. I don't want to see them immediately put him out on the field and try to, hey, we're going to try to get numbers out of this, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that at some point his presence here pays giant dividends for the Buffalo Bills. I'm just not expecting it. Then there's the Roswell Douglas trade. Now, Brent Coleman tweeted out that Roswell Douglas was one of the most Bills-ish players that wasn't already on the Bills in the entire league. And so the tweet made a lot of sense. For anyone who is wondering if Douglas is any good, you don't have to take Brett's word for it. Uh, here's our quarterback, Josh Allen, on the topic. <laughs> Chris, he fucking sucks. Yeah, now they're teammates. Uh, I love it. So, one of the things that you do, right, is you go to social media in these moments and you say, okay, well, what do, like, what do I know? What do I... What do I have? What can I find out about a player? And who do I trust? Because some people are going to tell you like, oh, he left and it doesn't matter because we didn't need him. Peter Bukowski, who is, you know, runs the lead host of Lockdown Packers. He's very active on social media. He tweeted out in the wake of the trade, 4.35 p.m. yesterday afternoon, as soon as it was announced, says that I'm not at all moved by the, by the time the Packers can compete, Razul won't be on the team. He says, okay, he's a really good player, a fixture in your locker room and reasonably priced. A mid-fourth value add is not worth getting rid of that guy on a team that's desperate for leaders. Doesn't that sound like a player that you want inside your team, Chris? Makes sense. Okay, perfect. So when I look at this and I think about it, I go back to the Patriots loss. And one of the things that stuck out to me was a number of plays that were made against Dane Jackson 
your cornerback one, I guess, two. Two. One A, one B. One A, one B. Well, two B, right? Because basically. Two A, two B. Because Benford and Dane were never supposed to be your number one. No. You made him your cornerback three at the beginning of the season. And then when you needed him, you lined him up against Demario Douglas and had him playing five yards off the wide receivers from the line of scrimmage. And then at the snap, he backs up and he gives him more cushion because he's limited athletically. At least four of the Patriots' best passes of the day occurred because of that dynamic where the wide receiver just read it and said it was an option route, and they go, fuck it, I'm going to cut it inside. He's giving me all of this space to work with. I'm going to eat up his cushion as far as I can, and when I feel like he's going to backpedal and come at me, I'm cutting inside, and I'm going to be open for a reception. And they were breaking him off between 7, 12, 14-yard chunks because Jackson at this point, I almost feel like he's afraid to step up and try to play physically now. I don't know what it is, but I know that they can't have any more of that if you're going to compete against teams like we're going to see this Sunday. Like, this Sunday is going to be a mess. You know, we talked about it in the preview show, just all the heavy lifting the offense is going to have to do here. Because I, you can't ask Dane Jackson to go out there and compete with T. Higgins or Jamar Chase for four quarters and, what, win as much as he loses? Yeah. Chris, I, I, you just can't do that. Douglas is a great fit athletically, culturally, but while I like the player, I like even more what having a guy who, well, he's not Trey White, like a, having a guy who's closer to being a real number one wide receiver on your team does for the dynamic of McDermott and his play calling. Because you think about it, with good coverage early on in the season, McDermott had, we were leading the NFL in sacks. We were on pace. They were like, this is a crazy sack total. We lose Trey White after the in that Miami game late. What game came next? The uh, Was it the Commanders game? What, after Miami? Yeah. After Miami, it was uh, Jacksonville. Okay, so we go to Jacksonville. We go to England. And you get thrown all over when it matters because Kyrie Lim just can't cover Ridley, and they know it, and they pick on you, and that's the end. And you don't really – I mean, you you got some – A.J. Epinesa was able to really – like, the, the defensive line saved our asses in that game. And then after coming out of that game, when they when teams saw we were doing pressure-wise, we – like, they adjusted, and we had no – we had no pivot. And so since that game, you've watched those pressures kind of evaporate. The sacks have evaporated, and you go, not evaporated, but they're just not as impactful as they were early on. Now, some of that's just the quality of the offensive lines you play, but some of it is because your scheme on the back end is less aggressive. You're not getting coverage sacks anymore. Now you've got guys playing off the ball that are giving up cushion and just hoping they can rally tackle. You're not forcing the negative plays that you were early on in the year. If you can bring that back and you have a legitimate guy who you can point to and go, that's a number one. He's aggressive when attacking the football. He's an aggressive tackler. He plays the run well. We have all of these things, and they trust that he can provide good run support while trying to do it. 
that's going to give McDermott so many options to bring back pressure packages, to try slot blitzes, to try A and B gap blitzes, where he just goes, look, I know that this can hold, this coverage can hold up, and he's not going to immediately find an outlet on a shallow cross when I blitz that linebacker. Because if that happens, it's chaos because there's nobody there to stop that guy. You're not going to have that problem. I think the other dynamic that's worth talking about, Chris, though, is that the Bills are just one of two AFC teams to make trades at the deadline. And the funny thing is that the only other team that in the AFC that made a trade was the Jaguars. For a backup guard who was benched in Minnesota. So that, that doesn't even feel like a real... Like, they're not trying to accomplish much with that trade, are they, the Jaguars? Just depth. <clears throat> yeah, they're just saying, listen, we, we're not in love with our practice squad depth. There's nobody that we feel like we could promote at a moment's notice and come in here and knock at our quarterback put in a bad situation. So let's go trade for somebody who we think can at least hold his own well enough at an NF, a backup caliber NFL level. That's why you make that trade. Because Ezra Cleveland is not a world beater. He's not special. He's not... <laughs> He's the Cleveland of guards. <laughs> it's the Cleveland of guards. <laughs> Ohio sucks. Uh, so, you look at the Bills being the only team in the AFC that made a move move. All of our fans screaming about, how, Oh, these teams are getting better and we whatever... Chris, we're the only team that made a meaningful move at the deadline. I would argue that should make you nervous, shouldn't it? I have no idea. We're the team that felt like we had to go do something to move the needle significantly. Or else the season was probably in jeopardy. Meanwhile, you've got teams like the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the... Yeah, the, the the even the fucking 49ers. Who I was like, oh, the 49ers could use everything, including a new head coach, but you can't trade for one of those in the middle of the season. They everyone stood pat, except for us. We went out and made a trade to get a bona fide, like starting level player, and we're the only ones. That worries me. I mean, it's good that we did it, but it just worries me about like all these other teams are that confident in their squads. And here we are a five-win football team, and we still feel like this is shaky. They feel like it's shaky as a front office. We feel like it's shaky as a fan base. It's a weird place to be. But as we talked about in our recap podcast, we've been here before. I like the move. And I also like the conversation that should, you know, just, just to kind of close this thing out, Chris, the quote from uh, Sean McDermott, right? Because he th- this whole year he's stuck with guys, right? He's stuck with the narrative that guys that they picked are players they believe in and the round to form. And he was right in the terms of Spencer Brown. He was right in terms of Jarrell Bernard. You know, when media, everyone was calling him an idiot for not doing more at those positions. So this talk of, well, you know, you always want to add playmakers, but they, we think we're okay in certain spots. That might, he might be talking about Shakir, and Kincaid, who we just watched, take significant steps forward in what their roles might be for this football team as we go forward, what they can bring to an NFL squad as they hit their stride. It might apply to Torrance, right? Given his one single year of SEC football, 
and is like a true D1 athlete and then eight games in the NFL, we may just be scratching the surface of what he is as a guard. It might apply to Elam down the stretch. Knowing how his athletic chops differ from Jackson's, Jamarcus Sangram's, but he specifically talked about defensive tackles, saying that they are looking hardcore at that, that they discussed defensive tackle for weeks with a few teams and couldn't find a fit. There are still bodies out there. I don't think they're done. I think they're going to continue adding because they're just as concerned as the rest of us. They just, they, they just did the most with what they had at this deadline. And I think that if you compare this one to the old ones, Chris, remember when we said you're doing a podcast the same day that the Bills traded for Kelvin Benjamin? No. Yeah, I do. We sang the praises. Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, Kelvin Benjamin. Oh, playmaker for this offense. How'd that fucking pan out? I trust that this guy knows what he's doing. I think we all should at this point. And so with that, we just look forward to this weekend's matchup because, man, I hope he's right. And so as we close this out, we welcome back the still AFC East leading Miami Dolphins and the only podcast host from their brethren that we can tolerate, uh, Mr. Elf Artiaga from Three Hearts Per Carry. First of all, Elf, did you get as much of a kick out of the Ryan Clark hypocrisy this week as I did? Yes, it, it was awesome. The <laughs> the man calls Tua essentially a fat stripper that's more interested in tattoos than working in his, on his craft, and then he's going to clutch his pearls over Deshaun Watson, of all people. Deshaun Watson getting yeah. called out by Brady Quinn. First of all, Brady Quinn. First of all, Brady Quinn sucked at quarterback. Like, let's just call it what it is. He's he's terrible. He's a great he's analyst. The funny thing is that at least he played. Like at least he played when he was healthy enough to do so. I like the fact that the Browns keep having to carry water for him. You do know that he knows, right? Like Deshaun Watson knows that he's in the sweet spot where they're so invested in me they can't get rid of me. Also. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I can just keep getting my money. They can't trade me. They can't and it's a, and it's a, and it's a weird dynamic that he has, right? Because man, you look at that Cleveland Browns team. That team is loaded. It, it, this is like, it. That team has talent all over the place. A part of me questions. I, I mean this, and I, I, I know that there's Browns fans out there that'll scream about it. But a part of me wonders if he doesn't see what's going on, and he goes, "Listen." I'm like deep down. He probably knows like he's watching PJ Walker going. I think I'm better than him, but that guy probably fucking cares more than me. He's probably a little hungrier than me. He's ready to take those hits more than I am. And and he goes, you know, eh, I could sit here and earn my money. doesn't matter. It's fully guaranteed. (laughs) They can't take anything from me. I just feel like this is the danger, right? Like when they gave Kirk cousins, a fully guaranteed contract, It comes down to who you are as a human being because you are essentially giving them the keys to hold your franchise hostage. Kirk Cousins gutted gutted out all kinds of injuries over the years. Like, look at him now. He's got an Achilles tear, and he's still showing up for kids' Halloween events and shit like that. He's a quarterback. He is a football player. The problem is I don't know what Deshaun Watson sees himself as. And you see a guy who they go, well, he's got a shoulder injury and we don't really want to aggravate it. Meanwhile, I don't know. I've got a quarterback with a hurt shoulder. 
that needs treatment every single week, every single day of the week, and he doesn't give a shit. They asked him today. You gotta go, love. You gotta love this sport to play it, man. That's it. Uh, it. There comes. There comes a time. Look, first of all, the, this sport was not designed for the human body. It just wasn't. Oh, whoa, whoa, Doug Whaley. You better dial that. <laughs> the funny part about that, I was driving to work listening to the radio when I heard him say it live. He goes, well, you know, football is a game that, you know, human beings really shouldn't be playing. And I'm, I'm just like, holy shit, did you just say that out loud? They're not going to let you say that. And then sure <laughs> enough, the rest of the day was just a fire about it. But it's, a, it's, 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 our, it's our greatest game. Uh, let's just say that. I love it. It's, I absolutely love the sport. But the world it, loves it. it. The country loves it. It's it's the but reason it hurts to play it, and that's it. It, it hurts it, to well, play it. Well, it's property acquisition through violence. You used to have to like this is some medieval shit that we're watching play out in real time in a controlled environment, and we love it because it's in our DNA to love that. <laughs> it is. It's, yeah. Look, look. I, I I didn't have an NFL career, but I was a scholarship athlete. I was a pretty good high school player. Uh, I had a I had a knee injury, I had a shoulder injury, I broke a finger, broke a hand. My senior year, I had another dislocated shoulder, and there was a time where I woke up in the morning and said, "You know what? To hell with this. That's it. Because one day I don't play no more. I don't want to play no more. I'm I'm sick of being injured and hurt and in pain all the time. One day you, know? you stop loving it as much as it takes to do the job. But better believe that when I got my scholarship offered to Ohio U, not OSU, because everybody thinks, my God, you were going to go to Ohio State? No, I wasn't that good. <laughs> I'm talking about Ohio University. Okay? <laughs> Different place. <laughs> all right. It's when a- I got that scholarship offer, I stared at it. And I talked to my coaches and I said, what do you think? And a coach told me, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you should you should pack this in, man. Well, this is it. So I love the fact that Ryan Clark gets to go on TV and go, this is, oh, this is abominable. We need to have a higher standard. It's like, asshole, do you remember hypocrisy? <laughs> like, Do you remember? Is your memory that short or do you just talk that much shit that you forget the things you say? It's hilarious. Now, the theme of this week, obviously you guys beat the Patriots, as you should. Was there ever a doubt? Like, if we're even going to no. say anything about that, was there ever a doubt that it was going to happen? No, there really never was a doubt. Uh, the only doubt was, oh, are these guys going to hang out, hang around here when they took the lead 7 nothing? That was the only <laughs> doubt. But then Miami got the ball, and they whizzed it right down the field, and they scored on a 42-yard touchdown. And you're like, okay, yeah, we're, we're back to doing this type of stuff again. So that was the only doubt. They kind of they had that Buffalo Bills Patriots look. Yes, well, no, but this early is, in the game. What I was well, but the thing was, I was about to say, I'm I'm in the shower this morning. It dawned on me. You know what the problem with the Patriots is now? You know, we just got done talking to Christian Simonelli about this. The problem with the Patriots right now is that they are what the drought era Bills were. You don't have enough talent at most positions on the roster. You've got bodies. You don't have talent. You've got an average at best quarterback. You've got an average at best offensive line. <laughs> You've got skill players who nobody knows, right? But you're going out there, and you're going to try to gut it out, and you can make it look good for 20 minutes of a 60-minute football game. You can make it look good. But over 60 minutes, the more talented team wins. That's what the NFL is. And unfortunately, they're out there bringing a knife to a gunfight every single week. And it's just, this game's just another example of that. 
Now, as we talk about the Dolphins at the trade deadline, this is where I get interesting, I, or this conversation becomes interesting, because I want to get your feelings on this. Health has obviously not been a major impediment to the team. Obviously, not having Jalen Ramsey, nobody knows what the season might be at this point if you had had him from the onset. But Xavier Howard has missed time. He missed that Eagles game that you guys lost. You've had linebacker injuries, offensive line injuries, injuries to the wide, you know, multiple wide receivers on IR, running backs go on IR, and yet we had we had four backup offensive linemen finish the game against the Patriots. Yes, and so this is my point. Like it's been a war of attrition, and yet the overall production of the team hasn't really wavered that much. So I would understand why there are Dolphins fans out there who sit back, watch the way the trade deadline kind of unfolded, and said, listen, we don't need a trade. We just need to get healthy. We don't need to... Obviously, you guys had given up some draft capital and different moves you've chosen to make. So Wait, you you're make... expecting Dolphin fans to be level-headed? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not expecting miracles here. I would expect that that's how the rational Dolphins fan would act. And at the same time, I did see some hand-wringing, some whinging, you might want to call it, about the fact that the team wasn't more active at the trade deadline. First of all, were you surprised that your team decided just to stand pat? Well, we had some information that they were going to go after a backup safety. Evidently, none of those things panned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolphin fans were absolutely beside themselves that they didn't get in on the Chase Young sweepstakes. But they don't have a third-round pick. So what, you were going to... You're going to upsell the, the 49ers and offer a second round pick. Yeah. Just to make a splash. You're, you're going to give away a second round pick to make a splash to trade for a guy that you don't know actually makes you that much better. And that you probably don't need since Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips are playing pretty damn good right now. I mean, there's Bills fans oh. out there crying about, oh my God, it's all it was was a third round pick. I don't understand why he's not on this roster today. And it's like, holy shit, guys. Do you not understand that this isn't Madden? Do you know that you have to, once he's here, you, you have to have pay a plan. These people. You not only have you to pay, pay him, but you got to have a plan. You have to look at that player and say to yourself, I know how I'm going to fit that guy into my defensive scheme. Sean McDermott has made wine with water in terms of pass rush talent over the years, I can tell you if he looked around and they said, hey, we've heard, we're hearing from other GMs that Chase Young is available, and he didn't make that call, it's probably because I don't know what I'm going to do with that guy that I can't get from someone who's already here. My other favorite is, and I saw this from some Bills fans, the ones that deem somebody on your roster expendable, uh. and they just want an asset for him. Because on the Dolphins is is uh, everybody was like, okay, let's try to get a fifth round pick for Emmanuel Ogba, <laughs> and I'm thinking, why? He's gone in a year. Do you really need the fifth round pick so bad? What if we take an injury next week? Yes, to one of our ends. When they're talking about trading away Kyrie Elam, it's like, do you understand that Russell Douglas? Now, Chris, I, I don't even want to say it because you know what will happen mm-hmm. if something happens to the depth of this cornerback group. Again, which, as we just discussed, is the nature of football, then you still need that guy. You still need an athletic body in the stable who might have to go out there and do the job in an emergency capacity. It does not make sense. And I feel like Douglas, as we just got done talking about, might have been like, he's the example of this. It doesn't always click overnight for some of these players. Sometimes they just need time. 
it's time on task and it's where do you go and it's, hey, does this scheme really fit my needs? His fit may not be here, but you don't want to fire him into the sun for nothing. Why? And people are like, oh, we couldn't have gotten anything from him. No, because it's no secret. When you played Josh Norman, when you decided to make Josh off the street, got face shoved into hell by Derrick Henry on national TV, Josh, like that guy, you activated him and left Kyrie Elam inactive. You told the world what you thought about that kid. No one's trading you yeah. for him. <laughs> it's it's just wait for you to cut him. It was worse than that. You guys had Josh Norman running down on special teams. It's brutal. Like it's <laughs> it's awful. So with that, you guys stand pat. The team is slowly getting healthier. Now, huge matchup in Germany. And what I find interesting, and I kind of want to make this last point because I want to hear your take on it before we let you go. The travel thing. I tweeted at you today. Yeah, I saw on Twitter that you and the Chiefs, the Dolphins and Chiefs, have taken very dramatically different paths to get to this game in Germany. The Dolphins have, like, you guys are there now. You guys went yesterday. It's, you know, Tuesday, you guys are flying to Germany so that you can acclimate to the time change, get a practice or a full practice or two in. Meanwhile, the Chiefs are doing exactly the same bullshit that the Bills did in their pursuit of the Jaguars game, and we all see how that panned out. Yeah, I've got, ja- I've got Josh, I've got Josh Allen in the run up to the game. Impressors talking about how I don't drink coffee, but I've been drinking a ton of, and he's talking like a crackhead. He's like, I, I don't drink a lot of coffee, but man, I've had a lot of coffee. I'm, uh, I'm just trying to stay awake, and you know, we're trying to stretch this thing out so we can get some sleep and the science. And he's, it's like Charlie trying to explain the mail service down there, and that's Josh in the middle. He's stimmed out. He's stimmed out of his fucking mind. And then they go into that game, and you wonder why he looks like he's still asleep. I'm interested to see how these two different approaches pan out. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's it, – well, Chris Kaufman had a, a really, really good uh, thread on it. He had numbers to back it up, and it's – the numbers are really, really skewed in favor of the team that arrives first. You know, It's as simple as that. If you arrive in London, you arrive in Frankfurt first. You, you arrive in Mexico City first. You have a massive advantage in these international games, and it's just been that way historically. I don't know why more teams won't do it. So I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. And I also, I'm dying to see if this, this approach that Miami has taken this season, where they're erring on the, on the side of just make them inactive, make everybody inactive. We could do without. Like, Xavier Howard has spent two weeks telling everybody that will listen, yeah, I'm playing Sunday. I'm fine. <laughs> and then we keep making him inactive. This week he said, oh, I'm playing for sure. <laughs> and then the head coach said, yeah, yeah, he's playing on Sunday. <laughs> so, so obviously they were holding him out for this Kansas City game. Teron Armstead is playing on Sunday. At least as of right now, he's playing on Sunday. So, yeah, uh, they've held out a lot of players. Now they're they're putting their eggs in this basket for this game and for post-bye week. So let's see if spending the first half of the season, and you can't you can't say that it hasn't been successful. They're they're six and two. Keeping everybody on bubble wrap for the first half of the season, is it gonna keep them healthy? For the second half of the season, we shall see. But it's been a worthwhile experiment so far. Chris, who are you rooting for in this game? I'm not going to say. No, say it. I can't. You? Why not? 
Uh, remember how Alf was talking about uh, before we started recording about saying things and uh, getting ads for their <laughs> podcast? It'll be way, way Is worse. There... Are you rooting for like a Bane-esque scenario? No. I'm not even going to say it. You're not even close. I here, here here's what I know. I know that if we're going to catch you guys, it takes a loss here, and at the same time, it pains me to root for this this essentially what has become a Taylor Swift love affair. I I can't co-sign that, so I might just not watch. Like I might Travis just. Kelsey, by the way, Travis Kelsey, I believe, is doomed because Taylor Swift cannot attend. She has her own obligations at the time well so. did, did you see that they actually made it a graphic they were like uh-oh here's travis kelsey's stats with taylor swift watching and here's what they are without like it fucking matters this is where we're being sucked down into the seventh level of hell well obviously it matters you know <laughs> it matters the numbers the numbers don't it. lie yeah well I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what you know what numbers do the number of boyfriends she's ditched and then written an album about it i can't wait to hear the travis kelsey cd Holy shit. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Elf, where can everybody find your work, and uh, where can they find you on social? Well, uh, you can go on our Twitter page, uh, 3 Yards Per Carry. That's the number 3 Yards Per Carry. Uh, you want to watch You want to watch us talk about these games? You want to look at other like-minded Dolphin fans talk about this game? You want to hate watch us? You can go to OnlyFans for 3 bucks a month. It's on the pinned tweet. If you want to listen to our podcast, you want to hate listen to us, it's the number three yards per carry. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can scream out your window and say, hey, put on three yards per carry. We'll come on. Guys, the trade deadline is a lot of fun every single year. A lot of talk, a lot of bluster. Obviously, nothing happens really ever. And I'm happy that it kind of stayed that way. I'm happy the AFC stayed the way that it looked before, but the Bills got a little bit better. I actually do enjoy that. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I appreciate you all showing up, hearing us out. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.